The following is a For Vengeance Media production. we love is undergoing a shift. What a beauty! Borders are breaking down. Some might say disappearing. Huge goal. And the freedom to choose is gaining momentum. JPHL Through it all, players are better than ever at all levels. Oh. From youth hockey to the best junior leagues and the highest level, the game is reaching new heights. Oh. Presented by 4Vengeance Media. This is Game Changers, the home of hockey, on Silent Ice TV. Welcome to episode 14 of Game Changers. My name is Dean Millard, and yes, winter is here. Normally, we look at uh, December 21st as being the start of winter. This year, we've decided to change that uh, to make sure it coincides with the JPHL's Winter Championship. That starts December 13th, the day uh, that this show comes out. It runs till December 17th. And man, do we have a star-studded lineup for our gold medal broadcast. Four games on Sunday. And we have Tyler Woke, Peter Labardius, Dustin Nielsen, and Gene Principe. All will be part of the broadcast. You will not want to miss it if you can't get out live at the Silent Ice Center on Sunday. The tournament runs all week, uh, starting on Wednesday. The two arenas at Silent Ice Center, also Morinville Ice Gardens, Grant Fuhr Arena, and the Terwilliger Rec Center because there's also a 2011 AAA Challenge Cup being added into the mix. A lot of games, a lot of excitement this weekend, and 4Vengeance Media is proud to be heading up the production, and we cannot wait to unveil what we have going for you on that Sunday and take a look at it. Also, our show today, the lineup is no slouch. We have some impressive champions as per usual. How about Mac T, Craig McTavish, four-time Stanley Cup champion, also uh, successful as a coach and a GM and one of the more entertaining guys that I ever had a chance to ask questions to in my media career, Richard Nault, the JPHL commissioner. No job too small for Richard Nault as he gets set for the biggest event of the year, Sons Playoffs, the Winter Championship. And Mike Snee is the executive director of College Hockey Inc. We'll tell you exactly uh, what College Hockey Inc. is all about uh, because they are doing some very cool things. So... Mac T, Richard Nault, and Mike Snee all coming up on the program today, but let's get into it with our junior segment, and we're taking a collegiate approach. Uh, College Hockey Inc. was recently through Alberta. Mike Snee is the executive director, and he joins us on Game Changers now. 
Mike, thanks very much for joining us on Game Changers. Uh, I guess just to start, I'm very familiar with uh, College Hockey Inc. from my days on the Pipeline Show, but uh, for those that maybe aren't familiar with College Hockey Inc., uh, tell us a little bit about uh, the entity and, and how you became involved as the executive director. Yeah, thanks for having me today, Dean. I appreciate it. Uh, College Hockey Inc. now, we are, what are we at, uh, 13 years. I think we, we started in November of 2009, so do the quick math there. Uh, 14 years, I guess I, I did my math incorrectly. Um, and we were formed to serve as a, as a advocate for NCAA hockey uh, to many different groups. The biggest group probably being young aspiring players and their parents. Be a resource for them so that they know, one, how good college hockey is. And then how to remain eligible for it, both from an academic standpoint, make sure that you're doing the right thing through high school so that you're academically eligible for college hockey and then also doing the right thing from an amateur standpoint so that you remain an amateur and you remain uh, uh, the ability to play NCAA hockey should an opportunity arise. Along the way, we've added some things to what we do. Most notably, we view ourselves as the PR department for college hockey. So we felt like for a variety of reasons, a lot of the really cool stories, the really interesting and compelling things that were happening in college hockey were not either not being told or they were being undertold. So we wanted to make sure that those stories were getting as much attention as they deserved. And then also we wanted to identify and help schools that might want to consider adding hockey, uh, women's and men's hockey. Um, and we just had a really good story this past week with the University of Delaware announcing that they added hockey and we were part of that project. So uh, we were started in 2009 and along the way here, just continue to be a nonprofit, uh, hopefully serving the sport of hockey and specifically serving NCAA hockey. Anytime there's more hockey teams coming online in uh, institutions is a, is a reason to celebrate for sure. Uh, and you guys were recently uh, in Alberta. Uh, obviously, uh, lots of interest in college hockey here for years has been a pipeline uh, to so many schools uh, in the NCAA. What was the reason uh, for the tour and what did you think of it? So we will go uh, literally anywhere in the hockey playing world throughout the U.S., Canada, over to Europe. Uh, we can do a lot more of that now, given the, the magic of Zoom. Um, but we go up to Alberta once every year and we tend to we uh, we invite and find the uh, players that have expressed some interest in NCAA hockey. Usually they're in that 14 to 15 year old age range. Uh, we invite the player and their, their parents out to join us. It's a free event. It's an informational event um, and we'll try to, if we can do it uh, in conjunction with an AJHL Junior A game. This past uh, November, we uh, hosted an event at an Okotoks Oilers game and we hosted an event at a Sherwood Park game. Um, and we wanna make sure that these players and their parents are aware of College Hockey Inc. That we're a free resource provide them with some information, hopefully also provide them with some things to think about that maybe they hadn't been thinking about before. Um, so we do that sprinkled throughout Canada uh, all year. We're gonna, we're, we will be in Vancouver um, uh, coming up here pretty soon. We were in Manitoba recently. Um, in the month of January, we'll be in Ontario. Uh, one one uh, event in the Toronto area, one event in the Ottawa area. So uh, we'll go everywhere, you know, with uh, about a third of NCAA men's college hockey players, about 40% of NCAA women's college hockey players are um, international. So outside of the United States, whether that's Canada or the various European countries. Uh, so we want to make sure if you're interested in NCAA hockey that 
you know where to go if you have some questions about it. Yeah, the, the European um, component, I guess, in the NCAA, that is something that is relatively new in the grand scheme of things of NCAA hockey. I mean, I I grew up watching the University of North Dakota fighting Sioux, uh, fighting Hawks now, um, and there were not a lot of European players, the odd one. It's becoming more and more popular, and, and I think it's it's terrific. It's certainly adding to the caliber of the game. Absolutely. I, th- I think the awareness of NCAA hockey, the awareness of how good the hockey is and how appropriate it is for a player at that age, that kind of that 18 to 24-year-old age, age range, um, where you do play fewer games, but you replace those extra games with intense practices and off-ice development piece. So um, I think the word is definitely out now for a young person wanting to reach your full potential as a hockey player about how good the hockey piece is. And then, of course, there's the, the academic piece, getting your degree or working towards your degree while you're also pursuing your hockey ambitions. And then just technology making the world smaller. Um, as I said, we meet with young players and their parents all of the time, frequently in person like we will or like we did in Alberta last month. But also we'll have Zoom sessions with families from throughout Europe or from the the more remote regions of Canada or the U.S., of course. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think all of that has just made the college hockey story more available. And the more you do learn about college hockey, I, I have to believe the more everybody likes it. Well, you had some pretty exciting news uh, recently, uh, early in December. Uh, tell us a little bit about that and, and how exciting it was. As I mentioned, uh, Delaware, University of Delaware, it will be adding women's Division I hockey. It'll be the first NCAA hockey program of any kind uh, in the state of Delaware. They don't have Division Three, and they have no other Division One men's or women's. Uh, they'll be joining the CHA conference starting play in less than in a little less than two years in the fall of 2025. They have a, a great facility already on campus, so their facility is ready to go. Um, we've been working with them for about two years, initiated as part of the partnership, the long-running partnership we have with the National Hockey League and the National Hockey League Players Association. Those two groups, the NHL and the NHLPA, they will fund a feasibility study for any school interested in just exploring what it would take for them to add Division One hockey. You know, our goal is women's and men's, but... Um, you know, one is better than nothing. So if they just want to look at adding women's or just to look at adding men's, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll work on them with a feasibility study for that as well. So as I mentioned, that started a couple of years ago. Along the way, uh, they got introduced to the Philadelphia Flyers. The Flyers have been wonderful and very supportive of this. And it, it takes a while. At times it felt like, you know, this is taking quite a while, but in the grand scheme of things, two years isn't really that long. And uh, just last week, they announced they, that they're moving forward and that they'll be adding women's Division One hockey starting play in two years. So uh, very exciting for us. It's the third year now in a row. Delaware this year, Augustana announced uh, last year and they're, they're starting play right now. And then Lindenwood in St. Louis announced a couple of years ago and they started play last year for their men's program that joined their existing women's Division One program. Uh, it's so awesome. I had a conversation with uh, Cheryl Pounder, of course, uh, Olympic champion a couple of times, and we were discussing the rivalry series that, between Canada and the U.S. that, mm-hmm. that you know, is ongoing throughout the year and how important that is for the women's game. And I'm, I'm thinking events like that have that trickle down for the NCAA women's game as well. 
Yeah, for sure. And when you look at the the women's players playing at the highest level internationally, you know, certainly the entire U.S. team and most of the Canadian team played collegiately. So it's pretty cool that you'll see former teammates facing off against each other or formal rivalry opponents. You know, one player was on the University of Minnesota, one was on the University of Wisconsin. Now they're teammates and stuff. And I think that really adds a, a, another layer that you, you get that in the men's game as well. But you, it seems like you get it even more so in the women's game just because of how many women, regardless of where they're from, are playing NCAA hockey. Yeah, that that's like the you know ninety percent pipeline uh, uh, for sure. Um, what what are your thoughts on the continuing split um, in the hockey world, uh, whether it's junior as we've seen in the BCHL and youth hockey is continuing. Uh, independent leagues are popping up. I know uh, there are many uh, across the the U.S. and starting to be many in, across in Canada. And, uh, you know, as I always say, people and players come from all different uh, families, leagues, whatever it is. But there's a growing trend of associations or leagues wanting to go on their own. What are your thoughts from a college hockey perspective? Good question. Uh, long, long debate, probably, about the pros and cons or what you're seeing or the reasons and so on. From a college hockey perspective, as, as we've somewhat touched on already that the players really do come from everywhere. Um, U.S., Canada, every every hockey playing country has has a representation in college hockey. Um, I, I don't really know if I'm qualified to answer that question other than I will say, and this is observationally maybe anecdotal, but um, I think I think structure and governance and oversight is there's more good to it than bad, okay? And the parts of our hockey playing world that have more structure, that have more oversight, tend to index higher in terms of number of players that they produce at the highest level and number of players that are just playing the game in general and enjoying the game, okay? So nothing is perfect. Um, but it seems if a, if a and I'm not saying this pointed to any one thing, I'm, and probably more towards youth hockey than anything. But um, if the response to I didn't get exactly what I wanted is to always, so I'm going to go do my own thing. Um, I, I, on one hand, I understand how how you want to do something the way that you feel is best or or whatever. Um, but on the other hand, I think it's hard to say that there is direct correlation to the places that have more guidance and structure to the game, more oversight, and they tend to get more players playing the game in general, and they tend to have more players reach the highest levels. Um, that does seem to be pretty consistent, whether you're in Canada, the US or Europe. Um, but outside of that, you know, if a player is a player, I'll tell you if Macklin Celebrini is playing in the uh, the BCHL, the USHL, Minnesota High School Hockey, New England Prep School Hockey, or somewhere in Finland, he's going to end up in college hockey. So you know if you're if you're that good and you're eligible, um, wherever you're playing, you're going to end up in college hockey. Yeah, and and uh, the next level after that, and it, and it's interesting what's happening with the BCHL. Uh, you know, and I have conversations with different people at rinks uh, from all across the country, and there's more and more eyes on the BCHL this year than probably ever before with, with what they did in moving away from Hockey Canada. Do you think there's any impact uh, negatively at all uh, in this as far as college students? Uh, you know, the BCHL is one of the highest uh, when it comes to scholarship rates. 
I've heard the hockey is great. What what are the, the you know, and you're heading out yeah, to Vancouver. What are you hearing about what the BCHL is doing this year? Yeah, I think a lot of the same things you're hearing. They've, they're a great partner of ours. They have been a great partner of ours, you know, as is the AJHL, as is the USHL, the North American League. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, we and, and we understand the decisions that, that, that they've made. Um, and, uh, you know, as long as they continue to get players that college coaches are interested in, then colleges will be interested. And, and I think from purely from a college coach being interested in your player standpoint, it really is, are they skilled enough and are they eligible? Um, that's what it, what it boils down to. Um, so like I said, I don't, I don't know if I'm really in a, in a schooled enough position to, to have a, to be able to even offer a strong opinion. And sometimes I think it's okay to just say that I'm not really a person that can have yeah. that opinion. And, you know, no doubt the BCHL is a great league um, and has a number of high end players that our colleges are looking at. Um, but the same can be said for the AJHL, the USHL, the North American hockey league too. So there's no one way to, 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 to do it, I guess. And, and um, it's, it's less our role. It's not even our role right. to tell a league how they, how they need to go about doing that. Again, as long as they're doing the things that allow their players to be both academically eligible and, amateurism eligible uh one of the other big stories around college uh the whole college lifestyle student athlete lifestyle is the nli or nil pardon me uh image likeness um some university students are you know making a lot of money and and i'm not sure i guess what the overall picture is when it comes to hockey i've heard about uh, some other athletes haven't heard a ton about hockey. Uh, what's the opinion, I guess, from from the College Hockey Inc. standpoint on this? Is this a good thing that players are able to, you know, be able to cash in on themselves? Is this a slippery slope? What's the what's the opinion? Uh, another good question. Probably another. Uh, you could have a, 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 to- a show just about this topic. I, I think it's pretty clear that the Alabama quarterback uh, has more earning potential from a name image and likeness standpoint than perhaps most of our college hockey players, but at the same time, and, and also that's what gets so much the attention. Sure. Are, are the, the case, you know, a lot of football, a lot of basketball situations where the student athletes getting seven figures uh, through name image and likeness, but there is an aspect of name image and likeness that is, very logical and very good for a vast majority of student athletes, not just hockey players, but soccer student athletes, division three student athletes that before prior to name, image and likeness had been prevented from doing certain things to generate revenue and not in a large way, but in a real logical way, like being involved in camps and getting a little extra money because you're a division three soccer player or you're a, you play golf and you can't even be a golf pro because you're an NCAA, you know, you can't give golf lessons. Um, so there are, there are a lot of very logical ways. I see it. I live in the twin cities and a couple of uh, Minneapolis, St. Paul, and a couple of, um, of local college hockey players that have a profile. Um, they now have some summer camps where kids get to come out, have a good experience, meet that player and, and maybe be inspired. And, and that student athlete now can put some money in his pocket by no means is he, you know, vaulting himself into a different tax category, but he's just making a few extra bucks. That seems by all accounts to, to make a lot of sense. So 
Um, I, I don't really know where we don't, we don't, we're not involved directly in name, image and likeness. So I can't tell you, you know, what are the, what are the two are the top grossing or, you know, uh, college hockey student athletes in terms of making money. But I think there are aspects to it that don't get covered that are really beneficial to the largest number of student athletes and probably the largest number of hockey playing student athletes because it wasn't regulated quite well or not even regulated it yeah. seems i think it ca causing some challenges certainly causing some challenges in football that um that might find its way down to hockey too but um, um not not certain a little bit like the wild west days uh, in the early going where you know there, there wasn't much going on but yeah you're right if it helps you know, even, you know, help uh, pay some food bills a little bit. We hear stories a lot about college hockey or college student athletes. Uh, you know, it's just you've got so much going on, hockey, school, life and everything. So if it helps out uh, a little bit. One thing that I know definitely helps out, uh, especially when it comes to recruiting and just promoting the game is the fact that we in Canada get to watch some games and you know going back to yes. the days on the pipeline show with Guy Flaming and myself we were you know pounding on the walls about this why can't we have more games I mean there's five networks of different things and five channels let's get some games on there we do have some games now on TSN especially that must make you happy oh very happy and now we're deep into our partnership with TSN uh, we've had I think this is our ninth year, uh, uh, eighth or ninth year with TSN and NCA hockey has never been this available like it is now uh, in Canada because of our partnership with TSN, both women's games and men's games. Um, so we owe a lot to them and I think that they're pretty uh, excited as well that they, they uh, both through their, their linear uh, on-air channels and then also their streaming um, that every weekend now there's there's multiple NCAA games available on TSN. Yeah, that's awesome. And speaking of TSN, there'll be a lot of NCAA uh, athlete component, uh, the annual World Junior Tournament. Um, you know, we, we discuss a lot of times uh, the passion of Canadians. Well, it never comes out more, in my opinion, than this tournament, good and bad. Yeah. I mean, there's been some terrible things uh, from Canadian fans th thrown at players on social mm -hmm. media, but there's also been some amazing moments, and that's what I like to focus on. And a lot of amazing NCAA players, including a guy who's playing at BU and Macklin Celebrini. Uh, loved watching his brother RJ play this past weekend in a tournament, and he scored a hat-trick and got his team into the final. But he'll be front and center with Canada. A lot of players uh, will be front and center, and uh, American hockey fans will get to watch this. Uh, this is, has to be a really cool time for not just the players that are involved, but the players that are back home watching and cheering for their teammates. Yeah, in, in multiple ways, I look at it. I mean, one, we talked about it earlier with women's international play that you get you get players that are teammates during the NCAA season and now their opponents or their opponents during the NCAA season and now their teammates. So you have that dynamic. And so you brought up Macklin Celebrini, certainly with his, his current teammates at school, but also even back to his, 
days at the Chicago Steel or even back to Shattuck where um, some players will be on the American team that he'll uh, likely be on the American team that he'll have to battle against. And, and that's a cool dynamic to it. And then the NCAA season, we don't necessarily shut down, but things are pretty quiet right there in the last week of December. So, so much of the focus can really be on the, on the world junior tournament. And you're seeing the success the U S is having as a country. And then the, you know, that our rosters, um, if not in a given year exclusively NCAA, it's almost entirely NCAA. And you're seeing more players from NCAA like Macklin Celebrini or Owen Power or Adam Fantelli or Kent Johnson or whomever, more NCAA players having an impact, not just on Canada's roster, but also on the various European countries' rosters. So it has a really exciting – well, it's got obviously – it is an international tournament, so it has such an international flavor to it. But just such a, a big part of it now is the collegiate aspect and where where they're uh, where they're playing their NCAA hockey, especially with European players. Now, now you have uh, you know a couple of years ago there was a, a co- an NCAA coach on one of the European benches and and we're seeing that more and more where it's uh, now it's not just the canadian u.s matchup where we can say these guys are teammates it's u.s finland u.s sweden canada whatever it might be and and speaking of that so many great arenas i know ralph engelstead uh for me was the greatest world junior of all time it was the greatest canadian team put together ever because of the lockout it was in one of the greatest arenas of all time and we had one of the greatest snowstorms of all time that kept everybody down there and the community Community in North Dakota really came together to, to help everybody. So I know that's a great facility. But what are some other really cool college hockey arenas, destinations, areas that you think would be a great fit for a World Junior City host? Oh, to host the world. I thought you were going to ask me what college buildings, because um, because I, I, I work on behalf of all uh, 45 women's programs and 64 men's programs. So I like them all equally. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so- not sure you're going to ask who my favorite kid is. Um, That's a good question. I I think uh, I'm a little biased. I'm a Minnesotan born and raised and I went to the world junior tournament back in 1981, 82 when Minnesota hosted it. Um, Honestly, I don't think at the time I even knew what it was. I I don't the world junior tournament probably wasn't at the, at the, the forefront of uh, everybody's, everybody's um, thoughts, uh, hockey, hockey people's thoughts then that it is now. Um, but I, I, so I think that Minnesota would be a great host for it. Um, Detroit would seem to make a lot of sense. Um, I think anything in Boston with just the history there and probably, um, Seattle with the, the growth of hockey there and its proximity to Vancouver might make a, an interesting spot, but in general, that tournament, which I know has always had such a presence in Canada. I've been told it's the second biggest sporting event in Canada behind the Stanley Cup. I'm I would sure agree. That's it. But, um, and, and, but, but just being frank, it, it hasn't always had that, mm-hmm. that place in the American sports psyche and even in the American hockey fan psyche, but it has grown a lot in recent years. And I, I do think that it can have, you know, Buffalo hosted it a couple of times, did a really good job with it, had the outdoor game that I think was quite successful. Um, so there's a number of different places, but I think the go-to, the go-to spots, Boston, Detroit, and Minnesota, um, probably would, would all be, uh, would all be the spots that you'd think about. I think Canadian fans would like to see, uh, ASU host one and then we could, or that, uh, not yeah, wear, that's not where good. parkas right to the world juniors. 
I, I guess I should be uh, Arizona State, Las Vegas, um, Tampa does a tremendous job hosting yeah. the Frozen Four, and so when you think about the the timing of the tournament, yeah, those are those are all good answers too. I'll go with those places. <laughs> Great stuff, Mike. Thanks so much uh, for giving us some time and explaining. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, a lot of uh, junior prospects, Hockey League and uh, Hockey Super League uh, players watching this and looking at their options. So it gives them uh, a little bit of a, an outlook and a, and a uh, look into uh, rather what the uh, NCAA route is. So appreciate your time yeah. and uh, look forward to meeting you in person when you guys are up in Alberta next year. And if I can just end with this, Dean, it's I, I always I made a New Year's resolution a couple of years ago that we just talk so little about the academic aspect of, of NCAA hockey. But the student athletes that play it, they they do so well in the classroom. Ninety eight percent of women that play, ninety two percent of men that play earn their degree. Um, you know, that's almost all of them. So uh, we talk so much hockey, but I'd like to end it with the success that all of these men and women have in the classroom as well. Well done. Thanks very much for your time, Mike. Thanks, Dean. Have a good day. Saints are on the road for two games this weekend in Sherwood Park and Camrose Saturday and Sunday. Dave Dawson will have the call on the Saints radio network. As for the Seattle Thunderbirds, they are in Spokane tonight, then three and three days on the road in Everett, in Vancouver, and they will also take on Portland on the road. Well, the Winter Championship gets underway. Well, today, as this show comes out, it is going to be an absolute blast for Vengeance Media. Cannot wait to jump into it. It's bigger and better than last year, and Commissioner Richard Nault joins us now to tee things up. Well, Richard, uh, it's hard to believe we chatted on the very first episode of this show going into the very first weekend. Can you believe winter championship is already here? Despite what we're seeing outside, it's obviously not winter, but winter arrives this Wednesday. I'm, I'm dressed for it, Dino. Re- ready to go. Uh, yeah, time sure flies by. Uh, it does feel like yesterday we were chatting just before the, the sequel is about to start and and here we are kind of at Christmas time, our, you know, I guess our halfway point uh, in the season. So uh, exciting times, but it just, it sure shows you how time flies by. It's, you know, lots going on and stuff like that. So, but, but exciting, exciting nonetheless. Yeah. And, you know, it's been a busy season, but, um, you know, it's, you get rejuvenated with an event like this. I remember as a kid, you know, looking forward to you know, a tournament in October was fine, but a tournament in December is just a little bit different. And this year, all the teams are in one place, which which I think is really, really cool. Last year, obviously, uh, scheduling spread out, but we're all in one area, so that's a nice change. What are some of the other tweaks that teams and fans and coaches uh, will need to get used to uh, for the 13th? Well, I think you're, you're right. All in one area, I think the atmosphere is incredible, right? It, it just brings in a, a special vibe, and, and, a, and I think at this point, it's, it's you know going into the Christmas season, which is an exciting season for families and and, and our athletes and whatnot, um, you know, and I think we're always trying to push the um, pendulum forward and, and try to continuously improve with the experiences we're bringing forward to our families and our athletes. And so this year, we've got a new overtime format that we're introducing. We're kind of going old school with that, where, you know, every minute you remove a player from the ice. So you start, you know, 5v5 and eventually, uh, hopefully we see some of it, you get down to 1v1. So I think there's going to be a lot of players and 
parents on the edge of their seats if we get to one of those overtime games. So super pumped for that. Uh, at the same time, we're bringing back some of uh, what we really loved from the uh, last year's winter championship is that these guys are playing for keeps, meaning that, you know, they're, they're the champ winter champions going to go into playoffs and our JPHL championships as uh, the home team throughout, regardless of their seating or their ranking. So some of the old, but some of the new at the same time, uh, obviously, as you know, a big part of our team, Dino, we're uh, pushing the pendulum on the, on the broadcast side. So uh, I think we're, we're forging into new territory in terms of uh, what for vengeance is going to do as a partner with the JPHL on championship Sunday. Yeah, we're so looking forward to that. Uh, we got to take it for a little bit of a test drive uh, this past Sunday on the final day of the Challenge Cup. So it, it was a lot of fun. People can find information, jphlwinterchampionship.com. For those watching uh, or listening, you can check out the show at silentice.tv.com. And this is the only jphl event in december um i guess that's important because it's such a big event but what was the reason behind saying let's have a an in-season tournament we see the nba just had fabulous success with theirs what was the impetus to start this yeah i think at the end of the day we were looking at a european model uh where, where you've got a championship plunked into the middle of the season and, and you know a lot of a lot of seasons, you can phase them out where you're looking at the beginning of the season. Everybody's excited, right? You're coming out, out of a, a busy summer of, of off-season training. Everybody's excited to get back in the room together and their new teammates and stuff like that as you're, you're forming and norming and, and starting to perform as a team. And as you get going through the season, you hit these midway stretches. And, and what's exciting for us is you're now plunking a tournament format, a sudden death format into the middle of the season. So leading into this, our showcase weekends, obviously, you know, they're very competitive, very intense nonetheless. But at the same time, uh, it's a different vibe when you've got a tournament setting and, you know, you're playing for advancement in that tournament or you're trying to, you know, stay away from elimination. So I think this is going to be exciting for the players and, and the families and our spectators and everybody else. And, and, you know, this year we're even including the 2011 AAA division into the JPHL Winter Championship. So we're excited to share it with our younger brothers and sisters and give them a JPHL experience as well. Yeah, I think that's so cool um, that the the 2011s uh, will be in there. We're also going to have uh, coverage of that uh, event on our final day, and you might even see it blend into the broadcast on the JPHL with some of the cool things uh, that we have going. And there's also a charitable component. I, like, I don't think that... Uh, especially at this time of the year, and, I, and I'm certainly not surprised uh, by the charitable initiatives that the JPHL has put forward, uh, but we shouldn't be surprised that there is one uh, when you're going to these events. And so people can, can get involved, uh, whether it's watching at the event, watching online, or uh, bringing some um, you know, food uh, for the food bank. I know the HSL, they raised a ton of uh, pounds of food, but important for you guys to have that charitable component this week uh, for this week as well? Yeah, I think it's been a part of our DNA since, since our inception. If you remember last year, we had the draft series where we got a, a bunch of charities involved and it was such a cool event. And, um, you know, I think it's, it's important that we, we give, we bring the vitamins in life to the game and to the sport. Um, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, uh, we're very fortunate to work in this, you know, in this sport. I think our players and athletes are very fortunate to play it. It's, it's not an inexpensive sport. We're trying our hardest to make this as accessible as, accessible as possible for them. 
Um, but at the end of the day, you know, the charitable aspect is, is critical uh, to that DNA. So, yeah, we partnered up with Kids Sport. We'll have a progressive 50-50 going on throughout the weekend in, in arena, like you said, online as well. Uh, we're doing other things that we've got one of our luxury suites at uh, Silent Ice Centre that we're auctioning off to people so that teams can use it as a home base throughout the day and stuff like that. So again, 100% of the proceeds go to charity. So to us, it's really important. I think Kids Sport, it just, you know, it hits close to close to home for us. And, you know, every few hundred dollars we could raise is going to um, put a child or a kid through a sport or into a sport and, and uh, you know, give them access to something that maybe they wouldn't have otherwise. So uh, something we're looking forward to. Yeah, and I think it's good for the players uh, to to re- be reminded of of a lot of that stuff because we are privileged in this country to be able to afford uh, to play this sport. So I think it's something great that you guys are constantly reminding them about. Uh, I also think that this event is wonderful for the scouting world, and 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 I'm guessing there's going to be a good component of leagues and scouts and teams checking this out. It's kind of a one-stop uh, buffet almost uh, from U17, U15, U18, even down to the 2011s if they want to get into that. I think for them it's great. You know, you're going to have all these kids from you know three different provinces, 41 different teams, five different age divisions, all in one spot competing at the same time. So. From a scouting component, you know, they're, they're not having to go far to, to get that, you know, those looks and, and those games in and whatnot and get to view a lot of different athletes from different regions and different age groups. Uh, we'll have representation there from all three leagues, the WHL, the AJHL and the BC Hockey League. Uh, we've got, uh, you know, league staff and, and executives uh, flying in for the event um, uh, from the BCHL as well. And so we're, we're really excited to host um, all of the hockey dignitaries from, from all three leagues and, um, you know, be able to spend some time with them and have them experience our event as well and, and get, have them get to meet with some of our families and, and provide some information about their pathway and their leagues and, and what makes them special. So it's something we look forward to sharing again with, with our league. And, and again, they're going to have a chance to see these 2011 AAAs, which are, you know, the top teams in Western Canada, um, with all of our GPHL teams at the same time. So it's, it's a really cool event, how we've packaged it all together, um, and it's going to be a busy time. Yeah, busy is definitely right. We're looking at some footage from the playoffs uh, last year uh, that we uh, were able to cover through Four Vengeance Media. Gold medal Sunday is the 17th uh, this weekend, and, and I know what we have planned from a four vengeance point of view, I mean, to have Gene Principe coming out for the first couple of games, to have Peter Labardius on the call, as well as Dustin Nielsen on the call for a couple of games. Tyler Woke will be providing uh, color analyst. Uh, we have one of our cameramen, Michael Carroll, uh, who has worked Olympic Games, 28 World Juniors, normally shoots at Rogers. I mean, we are literally pulling out a lot of the stops uh, for this event. We'll have the White Rabbit back again to make this feel... Uh, you know, it's for these kids, it's going to feel like a bit of a mini world junior almost. What is something that you're really looking forward to about that specific day? Oh man, I, what a studded lineup, you know, at the end of the day for these guys get to, you know, to be at home watching the NHL broadcasts or Olympic bro- uh, Olympic broadcasts. And, and then all of a sudden they show up at the rink on a championship Sunday and they're being interviewed by one of them or one of them's, you know, uh, setting up their game and stuff like that. I mean, I think this is a wonderful opportunity, a wicked experience for these guys. Uh, and, and again, I just can't wait to watch the parents marvel, uh, you know, at the, at the event that is, is going to be happening here on Sunday, Championship Sunday. So 
Um, I, I think it's just, it's, it's not one thing by itself, Dean. It's, it's every little detail. You, you guys are taking this to the next level and not leaving any stone unturned. And, and I think that package, when you put it all together, when you have people that just love what they do, that passion shows. And when we get to experience that with the players who love what they do, um, you can't get a better recipe. You really can't. And then you factor in the, the, the there's a trophy and a championship at the end of that day uh, for five of these teams. Um, man, it makes you, you can't even sleep at night really till you get to that Sunday. So can't wait. I couldn't imagine being a 13 year old and being interviewed by the same guy that interviews McDavid, Dreisaitl, Nugent Hopkins. It would just, would kind of blow my mind. I'm, I'm like, I get, uh, you know, I've known Gene Prince Bay for over 30 years and I still am in awe uh, when I'm around him because he's such a, a nice guy. The hardest problem we might have is stopping Gene from signing all the autographs of people stopping him <laughs> and getting him down there. But uh, looking back, we said we're kind of at the halfway point from a commissioner's point of view. What have you thought of the first half of the season? I think it's been great. Um, you know, I think you go into the sequel with experience from the first year under your belt and you think you know how it's going to roll and stuff like that. But um, when you keep for forging forward, you're, you're always gaining new experience and you have to be ready for the, you know, the unexpected. Um, I think we've strengthened as a group. We strengthened as a team. You know, our logistics, our operations team have done a, a magnificent job. Um, our broadcast team, we've been talking about it on this uh, interview here on this call. And um, I think when you factor all that in, it's fantastic. But at the same time, as a group internally, we know what our vision is. We know what our core values are. We know where we want to get to. And, and I do believe we're full of um, perfectionists and a lot of OCD inside of this group. So we want this to be perfect for everybody involved. And so we keep striving forward. And so, you know, the first half has been great. Um, I think we've rolled out a lot of um, incredible aspects to the league, including Silent Ice Center, which I think has um, blown everybody away and exceeded expectations uh, more than anything. And I, every time I walk into this building, it feels like the first time. So um, the eventing here is cool. You know, we had the Saints Crusaders here play a, a league game uh, as a big event a couple of weeks ago. I mean, all these different aspects that we get to share um, with the different parts of our business has been great in our organization. So um, first half has been awesome. Um, you know, we're already working on 25, 26, you know, two seasons from now already uh, in terms of our planning and, and whatnot, let alone 24, 25. So um, it never ceases to amaze me, Dean, in, in terms of like where we're going and how this thing is growing and what we're building. Um, but it's sure exciting. Yeah, I said that sure word is. a lot. <laughs> U17 division this year as well. And, and you mentioned it, that new arena for, for anybody who is going to be visiting it for the first time. I'm envious of you because I remember the first, well, I remember seeing it in the summer and just being blown away and now seeing it come to fruition. It's just beautifully decorated right now, of course, as you would expect. I mean, you're going to be walking into a winter wonderland and we know winter isn't here yet. It doesn't start until December 13th. So people are going to be blown away uh, by the hockey and they're going to be blown away by the facility uh, and, and everything else. So I can't wait for it. Uh, it's going to be a, a little bit of a sleep depraved week for all of us, but we've got Christmas right coming up so we can rest after that. Richard, awesome chatting with you again. I'm excited. I know you guys are busy at the rink right now, so I'll see you soon at the arena and we can't wait as winter is coming. Sounds good. Thanks, Dean. Action also includes the 2011 AAA Challenge Cup, so a lot of hockey uh, will be going on 
this weekend. You can find all of the details at jphlwinterchampionship.com. That's where you can find schedules, and you can even link up to silenticetv.com, where, of course, all of the games will be. We will also broadcast the final day of the Challenge Cup on Sunday which will feature Dustin Nielsen, Peter Labardius, Tyler Woke, and Gene Principe for the JPHL broadcast. It is going to be an absolute blast. I mean, I cannot just tell you how much fun uh, we are going to have for that event. Uh, this, This is one of the cooler events that you could ever want to be a part of. Uh, whether you're a parent uh, or a player. So definitely cannot wait for the winter championship and setting up the rest of the seasons. All right, well, one of the most entertaining coaches I have ever had the chance to ask a question to joins us now on the program, Craig McTavish. Mac T, as he is known is joining us now on Game Changers. Mac T, always great to uh, catch up with you. Love seeing you on the broadcasts uh, again, uh, going back and forth with Bob Stoffer and Gene Principe. Uh, makes the intermissions quite fun. And it's funny, I was having a conversation with Gene the other day, and I said, the way McDavid goes in such crazy streaks and the gap that he can put between him and the rest of the league... It's almost as close as we saw to the 80s. Not saying it is, but no player ever had a gap like Gretzky or Lemieux between them and the rest of the league. Is McDavid kind of getting as close to that as anybody has since that time, do you think? Oh, for sure. I think, you know, you see more and more comments uh, out there that this, like Bob Stoffer calls him the most uh, physically developed... uh, Maybe it's not quite that. I don't want to uh, misstate Bob's brilliance, but it's uh, the most highly developed hockey player that we've seen at this point. And I think that's fair. Uh, people ask a lot, is he the best that ever played? And I think, I mean, that's an open canvas. There's still a lot of things that he's going to have to accomplish. Does he have the capability to be the best player to ever play the game? Certainly. Uh, will he put up those types of numbers and win the championships necessary to, to be in that discussion with the top uh, three or four or five guys to ever play the game? Yeah, I and and, and that is the thing, right? Um, individual statistics are, are great for the back of hockey cards and for us to debate. Championships, when you want to be considered the greatest of all time, I mean, we look at those factors, whether you're talking about, you know, Michael Jordan or Tom Brady or Wayne Gretzky or whoever, it has to involve those trophies at the end of the year. Does it not? It does. And I think, you know, you, 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 you perceive it to be random that you, you get to a, a level where you have a good team and a team well enough um, to, to win. But for me, it's a burning desire to win and you have to have that burning desire to win uh, before you're going to win championships and Connor definitely has that and uh, so I mean there's no question he's going to win probably multiple Stanley Cups I would guess because 
he is so driven to win. And uh, when you look at the iconic great players, um, they all had that burning desire to win. I think Mario developed that later on in his career. Uh, it maybe wasn't something that was super important to him at the start. I'm, I'm just guessing in, in, uh, he had a bit of a laid, more laid back style than, than Wayne did or Mark did in that, in, in that respect. Those guys had a burning desire at a very early age to win championships and they had, they had a destiny that they saw for themselves and they were going to make it happen. Now, Mario definitely had that later on in his career and he was surrounded by a ton of great players there too as well. But, uh, you know, you look at some of the other greats that have never won a Stanley Cup. I mean, I love Ray Bork when he won at the end in uh, Colorado. He, I mean, he drove that Boston team for 20 years. I mean, he... He made that franchise there for 20 years. There was an argument to be made that he had a bigger impact on the Bruins than, than Bobby Orr. Uh, so it was good to see him finally get that cup. Uh, Marcel Dion's a guy that's spoken about a lot mm -hmm. uh, as a guy that had all the offensive uh, tools but never, never won. So, uh, I mean, some of it's a bit unfortunate. But there's, there's definitely a burning desire that Connor has that uh, it is going to lead him to championships uh, for sure. Yeah, it's, it's funny. When I, when I look back at, at the 80s and you talk about a guy like Dion or, or I look, you know, I grew up in Brandon, so I watched Dale Howarchuk a lot. Those two teams had to deal with you guys and the Flames for, for the entire 80s. I mean, it was virtually impossible for some of those teams to get out of the smite division. It's just the way circumstances went, the, the Oilers and the Flames owned that division for an entire decade. Well, you're right. But, uh, you know, teams never knew how close they were. And, uh, you know, we always really took advantage of preying on their disbelief in their ability to win. And uh, we knew that you know, those teams were good. Winnipeg, I mean, in 1990, had every bit as good a team as as maybe we did going into that series. But by the time that series concluded, we were we were a better team. And Dale Howardchuk, unfortunately, to, to your point, was stuck against the two best teams in the league at that point. So it was hard to get there. Yeah, that was uh, uh, certainly a domination. What do you remember about walking into that dressing room could you just you know like I always say in the fall I can smell hockey in the air you know getting near a rink could you just felt feel that competitiveness as soon as you walked into that dressing room at Northlands well it's nice to be on a great team and uh you know the two real advantages that that I see of being on a great team is that your best is going to beat anybody's best so if you're able to crank up your game, you're, you know, nine times out of 10 going to win that hockey game. And the other great thing about being on a good team is if there are personnel and people that don't fit that mentality uh, internally, then they're quickly moved on. And, and that's, that's just not something that occurs uh, on teams, on teams that aren't really good because you know, you, sometimes you're forced to take a more selfish talent than uh, 
than uh, what you'd want because you need the offense. But those two things really stand out for me. The ability to win when you're on your best and the ability to, uh, you know, uh, change out some people or any people that don't really fit to your mantra of uh, unselfishness and work ethic and uh, all those great soft characteristics that you need to win. The other thing is, you know, these things are all, you don't win without great character. And when you, when I look back on the teams that I was part of that won, I mean, it maybe wasn't at the fourth right of my uh, uh, vision as we won, just how great of uh, personnel and character that we had. But in hindsight, when you see that type of, uh, uh, those types of players and that type of determination and the quality of people. And you get back to, you know, when we do reunions with the New York Rangers, like those were some unbelievably quality people. And Brian Leach and Mike Richter and, you know, Adam Graves and on and on and on. These are quality, quality people and you need that to win. Yeah, winning in Edmonton was one thing special, uh, northern Canadian city, but I can only imagine what winning that cup, and not to say it was more special than the others, but uh, you're out there for the final face-off, you guys end that drought, the New Jersey series was legendary in its own right. That is something that, you know, winning a Stanley Cup here is not the same sometimes as winning the Stanley Cup here. It's it's special, but to end that sort of drought and to take that pride that team in 94 will be known as, you know, that, that has to rank pretty high when it comes to special uh, accomplishments. Well, that, that, I mean, I viewed myself and my own contribution there as being more of a mercenary <laughs> because I really got there at the deadline. I stayed there for two months and they were a great two months and moved on. But, you know, the, uh, the, the, the guys that were vested in that over the last three years, because in, in, I spoke with Neil Smith the other day, the general manager, and that's at a time when the Oilers were struggling. And he reminded me that uh, in 1992, the New York Rangers won the president's trophy. In 1993, you know, a lot of things went wrong and the team failed to make the playoffs. But in 1994, they bounced back and won the Stanley Cup. But, uh, you know, in looking back at that, the commitment that Mark Messier had to bringing a championship to New York was really unparalleled in anything that I've ever seen before, just how committed and driven he was to do that. And uh, that, that he, because he got it. I mean, he really understood how important that was to the city. And there are such I mean, I saw a documentary the other day in the 1994 New York Rangers and it had, you know, three or four lifetime fans that were a big part of that documentary and just how passionate they were about the New York Rangers. And, uh, you know, they really followed the ups and downs that occurred later on in that Stanley Cup run. But uh, it just gave me greater insight and I never really truly appreciated how invested a lot of these people were, but uh, Mark certainly did. Yeah, and it's funny. You can watch the highlights of Wayne Gretzky and realize, okay, that's why he's the greatest player of all time. 
Can you put into words what made Marcs Messier the greatest leader, uh, probably that you ever played for, but maybe in sports, in hockey, um, you know, what what it is about Marc Messier that makes everybody want to run through a wall for him? I think he was just groomed for that his whole life. I mean, his family, Doug Messier, is just an unbelievably smart hockey guy and, uh, you know, touches all aspects and values all aspects of the game, not just the offense, but the toughness and the, uh, the work ethic and the defensive play. So, I mean, Mark grew up in a family with Paul and, uh, you know, Jenny and Mary Kay. And I mean, those were just discussions they had all the time. And he was just, that was his destiny for sure. And there's nothing that he couldn't touch the game, no level he couldn't touch the game on, whether it was work ethic, whether it was uh, uh, offensive play, whether it was uh, toughness, whether it was demonstration of sacrifice and execution, like all that stuff is, you know, those are really the four ways that you can visually lead. And uh, it, the, he could do all that. And he didn't have to say much to get everybody's attention when the, when uh, it was time to go. Uh, everybody, you know, you said it, you, you don't win without character. Um, different guys play different roles. Um, we look at the skill um, offensively of a player. Uh, I think the type of player that you were and, and others gets overlooked because it's certainly not easy, you know, going up against the best players on the other team every night. How did you develop your craft in that regard as being, you know, one of the better defensive forwards, uh, face-off man, things like that? What was it? And, and did you learn early, this is my ticket to staying in the NHL? Or did it did it come, you know, some players it takes time for them to accept that, hey, I might not be that first line, you know, center all the time. What was it like for you in your career? Well, I mean, we're we're all offensive players till we get to the NHL. And right. uh, I, I was an offensive player. But you just, you, you got to appreciate how good you have to be to be a top six offensive guy. And, uh, I mean, I had some offensive ability, but I wasn't certainly at, at that level offensively. Um, so I, I, I settled into uh, to, to playing a third, fourth line role at times and defensive, defensive center. I, I mean, I played a lot with Mark on, in shorthanded situations and I must have been on 20 or 30 two-on-ones with him. And I was saying <laughs> to his brother Paul, couple weeks ago that I don't think he ever shot once, you know, like he, and I had a lot of shorthanded goals and they were, they were all the same. I'd go to the net. I had that sticky black tape and that big paddle and Mark had put it on my tape. I'd take it from my forehand to the backhand, put it in or the backhand to the forehand. But, uh, you know, you just try and do what you can to try and uh, help the team win. I think, there's a, a there's a common misperception out there that uh, playing defense is 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 a choice. I think, I mean, it's it's more complicated than that. I think you you, you have to have instincts defensively. You have to take ice back. You have to read the play well. Um, so I think there it's it's hard to teach 
players how to be good defensive players. Mm-hmm. And it seems like, you know, maybe the, the focus isn't entirely on that side of the puck. And so maybe that's what makes it a little bit more difficult. But, uh, you know, you see guys that instinctively do it well. And I think thinking that it's just a choice that you make is probably uh, underestimating how difficult it can be. Not, not to say that, you know, it's the most important part of the game because obviously putting the puck in the net is the most important part. But there is a skill to being a good defensive player. Yeah, and one leads to the other. It sometimes takes uh, people a while to realize that uh, defense can can lead to offense, but uh, it, once it clicks, uh, good teams really uh, start to clue in. Um, I, I guess in your career, other than the four Stanley Cups, you were known for not wearing a helmet and Harvey the Hun, Hound's tongue. Do those two things come up quite a bit with fans when they're when they're chatting with you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those those things come up a lot you can boil my career down to three things and you've mentioned them all the face off in new york <coughs> the last face off in new york i always wondered why mark let me take that drop like i never really got that because he was a better face off man than i was and uh i i could never understand that and just recently he he talked about it to me and said you know he was he felt that the only guy that could, was dangerous on that ice at that time was Pavel Bure, and he was lining up beside Pavel Bure, and I, and then they switched, and Pavel Bure went to take the face off, and I don't think he wanted to. Uh, he he had enough trust in me, uh, not to embarrass me and kick me out of the face off circle. Not that that would have embarrassed me, but I always wondered why why he wouldn't have taken that draw and. and that's why. Oh, that is quite interesting. Uh, now you get to watch uh, your son, Sean, uh, coaching with the Titans Hockey Union. Uh, we saw you out in Vancouver checking it out. They have a massive event uh, this week. Uh, has to be pretty cool seeing uh, Sean on a bench, uh, you know, going down whatever coaching route he might go on. What's it like for you to see that? Well, I love it. You know, I think it's, uh, you know, hockey gives you a lot of great, life lessons for sure playing the game and coaching kind of brings that to a to another level too as well in terms of trying to connect with people and have influence over people and inspire people and i think it's it's you know it's it's not easy coaching is very very difficult as you know dean but uh you know he and i have some conversations about he said the other day that he wished he would have coached first and then uh, applied that to the way that he played the game. And uh, Sean was, he had a, he had pretty good hands as a player and good instincts. He could read the ice well and could pass the puck pretty well, but he wasn't a natural skater and he had to really, really work hard to, uh, to, to skate and you need to have when you skate when you don't skate uh, gracefully or fluidly you have to have the work ethic like I would say Zach Hyman is a good skater but he he gets the speed from the work ethic and I'm sure in the gym 
working hard on his legs so he can have the power in his legs to get there. But he's not a graceful, fluid skater like uh, Paul Coffey was. But he gets there. And, uh, I mean, the, the uh, Junior Prospect Hockey League is, uh, you know, as you know, uh, a, a really good uh, place for, for players to play and kids to play. You get uh, consistent practice time. You get a lot of practice time. The ratio between games and practices is is better than what I think it is, uh, you know, in some of the other leagues. But uh, and I mean, the Lekelt brothers they 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 they've done an amazing thing for a lot of kids and all with uh, the best intentions on developing hockey players. And I think we'll see. You know the the uh, the uh, the results will be in players that are going to flow through these programs, and uh, the Celts would probably like to see it flow into their uh, Alberta Junior League team, uh, and then into the WHL team. <laughs> probably won't be that far away from getting an NHL team or being a part of one either. Well, that would be uh, that would be quite fun, and I wouldn't be surprised, uh, Mac T, because. Uh, the things that these guys are doing uh, simply outstanding, like the new arena where this uh, tournament will be played. Um, it's been a lot of fun. The, the other thing I was going to say is when you're playing, it's one thing. When you're coaching, it's another thing. When you're su- up in the press box as a media, you could see everything, as you know, from all of our post-game questions because we were the smartest people in the building, according to us. Yeah, I've, I've, uh, I've heard that before and said that on a few occasions and you know, it's just I, I, I like to think or try to bring a bit of a different perspective uh, to, 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 to that role. And, you know, like criticism is part of it, but there's a fine line for me on when it goes overboard, when it's too much. And uh, I like to try and uh, uh, point that out to the media if, if if I can, you know, like it's, it's because third party advice is always easy. And, uh, you know, like if it's not your name in the paper, it's easy to give the person whose name it is advice. Like, don't let that bother you. The last thing you need to do is bother you. But I've, I, I know when it's your name, it's a lot more difficult to take that advice. And, uh, you know, I never, ever really read, especially when we were, you know, in the lean years where, you know, we really didn't have much of a chance to win regardless of who was coaching or, 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 uh, you know, the team just wasn't good enough. And, uh, you know, so I would never really read any of that because it would distract me from doing your day-to-day job and you're spending the rest of the day doing what we humans do, you know, try to get even. (laughs) <laughs> and it gets distracting, and uh, I hope I can bring that perspective to try and potentially soften some of the negativity that uh, you know occurs in all hockey markets. But uh, here, it's it, hockey is is uh, so important for everybody, and everybody is reading it all, and it's it's it can be debilitating for players to deal with that type of pressure because it's difficult, especially the goalies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well said for sure. Uh, thanks so much for, for spending some time and uh, we look forward to seeing you at the rink this week. 
Okay, sounds good, Dean. I'm looking forward to getting out there and watching a little hockey. Hopefully the Titans can get a couple wins for us. That is always entertaining when I get a chance to uh, ask Craig McTavish a few questions, and uh, nice that he answers them politely. Uh, I probably asked him probably some dumb questions over our time dealing with each other in the media business. Silent Ice TV is home to the JPHL, the HSL, and special events like the Winter Championship and the Challenge Cup all this weekend and much more. You can watch live games and catch up on what you missed. Plus, you can watch Game Changers right here on Silent Ice TV each and every Wednesday. Big thanks to Mac T, Craig McTavish, for joining me on the program today, Richard Nolt, JPHL Commissioner, and Mike Snee, Executive Director of College Hockey, Inc. Next week, we will wrap up the Winter Championship. Stephen Gertzen, President of Silent Ice and former NHLer, will join us and much more. We will also recap uh, the wonderful and amazing content that we will be bringing and the production value is going to be out of this world, uh, led by For Vengeance Media President, Brandon Ewan Cheshin. Thank you so much for joining us on Game Changers today. I will definitely see you in the rink this week. And remember, it's always a good time for a double pad stack. See you later.